Welcome to Sounds Like Autism, the podcast that celebrates neurodiversity by speaking to the people who are helping to create a more inclusive world. Produced by Launchpad 516 Studios with your hosts, Josh Mursky and Dave Thompson. Dave, guess what? Something really cool happened, which is also great for marketing. <laughs> What's that, Josh? So I was in the mall walking around and then um, I saw someone, I was wearing my Sounds Like Autism hat and shirt and someone was like, oh, I think I know that symbol and yeah so they pointed out and they knew what it was podcast so that's pretty cool um the folks know about us like just like that pretty cool wow did you did you know did you find out where they heard about us no i, I really didn't ask to be honest so i was just like oh it must, have caught, must have caught you off guard to get recognized like that that's well, pretty cool. yeah i was just like trying to like walk around the mall and do my own thing but i mean yeah that's cool if you do see me or dave i mean like i i'm yeah i'm speaking for dave right now uh, you could always just say like, Hey, what's up? You know, you guys do a good podcast or if you don't like the podcast, I mean, while you're listening to it, but you could make pretend you like it and say, Hey, good podcast. So, uh, yeah, you always say that if you see us. Yeah. Yeah. No negative feedback, but, but if you want to praise us in public, that's great. That is really, mm-hmm. exci- that is really exciting, man. The coolest thing that's happened to me with that is like seeing bumper stickers or, or something in public with, with people I don't know that that's always yeah. really, really cool. Um, yeah, I've gotten actually photo like people send me pictures of like, hey, um, I saw your logo on this car, and I'm like, oh, cool, man. So I mean, that, that sometimes happens also. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and, and um, so I guess this is a good opportunity to say if if you're one of those people uh, who we don't know but supports the show, thank you so so much. Uh, it means mm-hmm. the world. And uh, feel free to send in your pictures of you rocking your gear or your bumper stickers, magnets, whatever you got. Um, Absolutely. Really, really exciting to us um, with our, our, our small little uh, operation. Yeah. I mean, we like, before we go into like anything, we, it's like, I remember, I remember just like a few years ago, that logo is just an idea. And we were like having like tiny little meetings, like about 30 seconds here and there talking about it. And now you see it. So yeah, it's pretty cool. So. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, Josh is a, we both pay attention to how things look and marketing and things like that. But Josh is someone who his some, something that he compares everything to is like how Disney did it, how well Disney did it. Um, well, they're the, the leader, Mickey, the Mickey mouse ears and, and stuff like that. And I think we've done a pretty good job. Uh, so very cool. Yeah. You know, uh, what, what would be like, you know, those two guys, I, I would, I'd hope he'd approve. I would hope he, if he didn't, if he wouldn't, then, you know, that stinks, but I think he would. Yeah. We're like Imagineers. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, so so let's let's jump in, Josh. I'm I'm really glad to to have this guest on this month. Um, and who who we have in Josh? What business? Well, I, I I could tie this all in real quick. So you know how like at Disney, when you wish upon a star, well, boom, it's Blue Star. Yeah. I star. yeah I did that. I'm, I'm sorry, Dave. I'm, I'm sorry. No, no problem. That's great. <laughs> that blue, is so corny. Blue, blue yeah. Star Recyclers. Um, yep. is an, is an awesome, um, electronics recycling company, uh, yep. that's in two States, um, mostly, mostly Colorado, but also Illinois. Right. And we, yep. we are so pleased to have, um, the founder of blue star, Bill Morris on, um, blue star employs dozens of, of neurodivergent people, um, very, very successfully in these facilities. And, uh, they're yeah. a, an awesome mission first kind of business. Right. So, um, I find mission first um, businesses just to point out, I often have them like the most passionate I find because it's, 
I mean, yeah, like every single organization out there, like part of their goal is to um, have income. That, I mean, I'm not like saying that's not true, but there's more than that. And when there's more than that, I think it, it gives it a heart. So it gives it that little boom. Like, so whenever you're like, dealing with one of those, you're going to see more passion from the people who own it and work there. Yeah. And I, and I, and I would say I wouldn't want to like rank mission first businesses above anybody else because listen, the bottom line is, it's like Jeff Miller a couple months ago from Potential said, there, our intention is to not need mission first businesses. Our intention is for every Fortune 500 company and every mom and pop pizza place on every corner in New York City to, to, think, to think of this stuff as completely normal stuff that they should yeah. be doing. And so the mission first businesses are the real trailblazers here and really, really important, right? But mm -hmm. it is super, super special when some massive fortune 100 company starts a neurodiversity hiring initiative. Right. And they're learning a lot from these mission. It's companies. inspiring that like this type of mentality, I know like where I'm going off my little like ramp here, but we'll go into our guest in a second. But uh, again, like I, I sometimes bring up, I, I'm, I was born in 93. So like my childhood was the like late nineties, uh, early mid to like 2000, 2010s. Uh, like this, again, if you were to go back in time and say that like, big businesses will be talking about this stuff. Literally every person on planet earth would laugh at you like, because it was just, it didn't, it wasn't like in the public conscious. It, it, it that didn't register, but yet here we are now. Yeah. Yeah. So and it's, I and just it's, like to bring that up. And it's thanks to um, a, a bunch of smaller businesses, including uh, blue star recyclers um, that have kind of, explored this this whole world right the the world yeah. of of you know proactively hiring uh training onboarding supporting neurodivergent talent um and that that's to the benefit of an organization that's companies like um blue star and rising tide and spectrum and that, showing that's, that it's real talent also yeah. because these folks who are neurodivergent and work there lots of times they come up with some you know innovative, I wanted um, to say innovative solutions, which other people wouldn't have. And that also then benefits the organization's bottom line. Yeah. So like these are, it's not, it's not like, you know, oh, this is going to look good for the camera or, oh, this, no, it's nice to do. No, this is like business smart. So if you or someone, you know, listening has a business and you're on the fence currently thinking, you know, there's this one person, they're neurodivergent. We don't know if we should take a chance on them or not. Like, it would be in your like in our TEDx what we talk about genuine best interest for you and your organization to take that chance because the payoff is way better than not doing it and you can actually advance your organization in many different ways by a person who thinks differently. So yeah, no, exactly. So without further ado, uh, it is our absolute pleasure to welcome the founder of Blue Star Recyclers, Bill Morris, onto the show. Bill, welcome, thank Bill. You, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Dave and Josh. It's really good to be here. All right. So thank you for being on. And so can you tell us the story of Blue Star Recyclers, like the origin story, like a superhero? Uh, Blue Star Recyclers is the result of an accidental discovery. And uh, it really starts off with some negative stuff, which is that I was an out-of-work 52-year-old male and in 2008, and um, I had been laid off from, I had been in the telecom sector for about 25 years and, and um, it was going through the, the process of, of shrinkage and, and two or three of the carriers 
were bought up by others. So I was laid off. And for the first time in my adult life, I got to experience what being out of work felt like. I thought I was pretty hot stuff. I had been a, a district manager and led teams and had done fairly well, but uh, I was unnecessary in, in 2008 and was laid off. And, um, and I have to admit to you that after about six months, uh, I, I couldn't find work. I got pretty close to being suicidal. I, I, I honestly had never felt anything quite like that. To know you have value and no one really could see it. And the market was just not, my industry wasn't hiring. A friend of mine was listening to me complain over the phone and he said, you know, why don't you just apply for a job that interests you rather than from the industry where that you spent your career in. And I said, well, why would somebody hire me if I don't have an experience? He goes, I don't know, but maybe it'll keep you from complaining to me <laughs> or something. So I, 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 went on, I went on LinkedIn and my oldest brother, Paul, has a developmental disability. He, he's actually passed away since then. But um, at that time, I had an interest to work. I always kind of had an interest to work with people like him but I had never spent any time in the nonprofit or disability services sector. Um, and I thought, all right, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and look and see if there's any jobs there. And sure enough on LinkedIn, there was a job for running a day program at a disability services um, provider. And I applied and, and I knew something was wrong immediately when they called back within about five minutes and practically offered me the job over the phone. <laughs> and I remember I said, wait a minute, don't you have to have some initials by your name to do this kind of work and run a center like that? And they go, no, not really. <laughs> I said, well, do you have to have any experience? And I said, well, do you have any family members? And I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I have a brother with a disability. And they said, that's good enough. Well, the reason that all that was true was that when you looked at what they offered me for pay, I, it was very understandable why that I, I was being offered that job. That was the least amount of money I think I had ever made in my adult life. And, uh, but I took it because I wanted to go back to work and I didn't know anything about it. And I showed up, it was a, it was a day program with 65 adults, um, 60 of which were extremely high needs folks that, that had to be cared for around the clock. And, um, and there was a smaller group, in, another group in there that was, what they call EBD, and it was uh, essentially adult babysitting. It was pretty awful. And I, I had no experience with it. And I, the center was, uh, it was an old building. It smelled bad. It looked bad. Um, you walked in, most people were yelling, screaming. They were in some sort of, of discomfort. And the staff was probably even worse shape than they were. Um, and I hear I'm taking this over, and I have no understanding of what I'm doing. So I just basically did my best, and um, and we we tried to keep the place from uh, from being um, from falling apart. I mean, it was it was just it was why the job was open. I think they'd had two or three people come and go in in the year before me. But anyway, in this in this building in the back, a few years earlier, someone had had brought in four young men and they were in this room taking apart electronics they were uh, they were not being paid or trained or and nor were they well supervised but they were they were a different lot 
And I only had had a chance to peek in on them and meet them, but not spend much time with them until about three months into working at that job. I finally had a chance to sit down and watch them. And I just noticed they were very, very good at what they were doing. And I asked Christopher Garcia, who was one of the young men, I asked him, I said, where did you learn how to do this? Because he could take apart an old computer in a matter of a couple of minutes. And he goes, I just taught myself. And the other three guys weren't as fast as he was, but they were, they also seemed to just have an innate aptitude for it. They would systematically break these things down. So I went and looked at their files and discovered that all four were diagnosed on the autism spectrum. They had a couple of other physical diagnoses as well, like seizure disorder. But, um, and I just, I was possessed with this idea that, um, these guys had marketable skill and it was going to waste. And, and I couldn't ditch the thought. Uh, I didn't have any idea what to do with it. But, but one night I went home and I wrote a business plan to start a business to hire these four guys. And I had no interest to stay in the disability services sector. I was not a good fit for that. Writing case notes and using people as billing mechanisms to get, to get, to get reimbursed by the state is not for me. And, um, but I wanted to get these guys working. That was it. And I went up to Denver. I found somebody that did know something about electronics recycling and asked him if he'd hire these guys. And he said, no, not really. Kind of shifted in his seat. I said, would you help us get started? And he seemed to be more interested in that. And he said, well, tell you what, I'll, I'll send you all my computers from Denver down to Colorado Springs and you can take them apart for us because when you recycle electronics, you have to break them down to their base materials. And he said, I'll pay you five cents per pound to take them apart. So I said, sold. I didn't know if that was a good buy or not, but, um, and he gave us a little warehouse space and we were off and running in uh, uh, October of 09, we started the paid work program and uh, the disability services provider was the employer of record, but the money for the, the minimum wage wages came from the recycler. And we did that for a year and the guys just lit up, all four of them. I have never seen a transformation like this in my life. And you, I know you've seen it, but uh, to see a human being, uh, all, the, all the behaviors they had in the day program disappeared. Um, they physically, emotionally, mentally all became, improved. And they started acting like men and they were all in their mid twenties. They had aged out of their day pro or their uh, transition program in school and then come into this day program. And they had been treated like children since then. And they were, and they had acted like it, but they came into work and I said, get your tools clock in and your PPE and go to work. And they did it. And they just, gosh, it just everything about them improved. We grew that team to six we added two more people and, and a year into it, we knew we were onto something. And, um, and then we lost the supply of materials because the recycler had sold out to an Indonesian company that, uh, that we, we kind of were told they wouldn't be using us. Uh, they probably could find it cheaper than a nickel a pound back in Indonesia or something, I don't know. But, um, but then I had the incredible serendipitous luck to meet a family in Colorado Springs that had an old, old warehouse, a truck and uh, a forklift that had been left behind by an electronics 
reseller in the middle of the night, this, this company moved out and left all this stuff behind and they didn't pay their rent. And their name was Blue Star Electronics. And we had a couple of meetings and the Fanant family that owned this building, they gave us all that stuff in a very, very large cash investment, which is unbelievable because I had known them exactly 24 hours. And uh, I'd never seen anybody do something like that. It was, it represented about a third of their net worth to help us get started because I was out of money at that point. And we started life as Blue Star Recyclers in, two, in November of 09. Um, and so fast forward 13 years, we have 63 employees in four locations in the US and, and we've replicated our model in about 12 other recycling companies. So you mentioned um, the work and how it affected them, your mental health when you lost your job. Well, so I understand that because sometimes, you know, back in the day when I used to work in the kitchens and stuff, it was a really bad work environment. If any of you are a longtime listener of our show, you, you know that I used to work in kitchens. And your, the work, if it's good, it will have a positive effect on your mental health. But if it's not, or if all of a sudden it's lacking, like all of a sudden like the job market comes down, um, yeah, there will be negative side effects, uh, like the ones which you have um, stated. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and what a story, and and what a story about how it impacted it, its founder and yeah. and and others, right? That I mean, that's that's an incredible incredible uh, level of kind of vulnerability that you're you're showing us. So thank you. Um, absolutely. And and you know, it seems like a real um, kind of success story from nothing to, to such a great level of, of success for, for a business, right? But what about to, to take it a little bit further as far as the impact on your neurodivergent employees? So um, I know you talked about some of the founding employees and obviously um, that's an incredible story, but what about now that you're a well-established, well-oiled machine at Blue Star with several locations and so many different operations, right? Um, someone being hired today, right? That's neurodivergent. Tell me about that experience and the impact that this has on, on your employees. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a big deal. And I will say this to, to, to run the needle back through the beginning of this, I will say that as I walked out of that disability services daycare center, when we started the employment program, I asked the two staff members that had been there for the longest, and I said, I want to ask you, didn't you ever see the talent that these guys have for this work? And they both said to me, looking at me in the eye, I said, we're not here to spot talent. We're here to deliver services. And that's when I realized that possibly the worst place your son or daughter can end up is a disability services day program, because I, I, I can't indict everyone, but that's not the place where they're innate talents and God-given talents are going to be discovered. There's just nobody looking for it. And so at least not where, where this place was. So one of the things that, that became very important to me was that this is not about what's wrong with you. This is not about your deficits. I honestly could care less what your diagnosis is, because when you come to Blue Star, we, we have absolutely no financial uh, incentive to hire you as a person with a disability. I can hire anybody I want. So what I wanna know is what's in your tank? What have you got? What's under the hood? 
Now, one thing I know is I'm never going to see it when you walk in. You're going to walk in and you're going to have some discomfort. You're not going to particularly enjoy the, the interview process. So it's my job as the employer to snoop around and find out what makes you tick. And we ask those questions. We don't do an over-the-desk interview and we go right out to the work floor and start doing. We have an interview process that lasts about three days. It's a couple hours, uh, three days a week, or, or that first week or the first two weeks. And you come in and you actually do all the job tasks that we have that we have at Blue Star. And in that process, I am going to find the thing that lights you up because it's 14 years now and I have yet to find someone that I can't make that discovery. And almost always, uh, Josh and Dave, they, they don't know that they're good at it. They will make that discovery right along with me. And they'll say, wow, I had no idea that I'd be this good at this particular task. So what I realized that what, where we've been doing this all wrong is we've been, we've been bringing that person in based on their, their deficit and their disability. And when, and when we open their file, we'll start making judgments about what they can and can't do. And it's the worst thing we could ever do. If you'd done that with me, uh, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now. So, because there was no nothing in my background that would indicate that I was going to be able to run a recycling company and employ people with disabilities. So, so I think it's it's the discovery process. So you uncover the talent, you discover the talent, you develop it, and then you watch a human being come into their own. It is, it is a fascinating process. And, and uh, I wish we did it for every employee in every company, because instead of filling jobs with human beings, let's find out why, you know, what you have to offer. One of the things I really um, just want to point out what you said and something it resonated with me and I can almost guarantee hundred percent it will resonate with literally every person listening to this. Is that like this experience thing? It's just it should be about what you can do because looking back, remembering like about trying to get that first job, and everyone you know, you know, everyone goes through this thing where they're trying to get the first job, and people are like, "No, you need experience here. No, you need experience here," and it's so hard. But like you know, like you're, I know I could do this. I know I could do this, but you don't have that experience. You don't have that piece of paper saying that you're experienced. So I think um, the methodology and the thinking which uh, you just uh, shared is something that's beneficial, not, not just for the neurodivergent, but for like ev everyone, like society in general, because we have become, I think, as a collective, so obsessed with like credentials and not the raw talent itself. And I think we've mistaken that. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. We'll be right back. Well, that's a nice song. Hey, hey, everybody. It's me, the launch dad himself, George Andriopoulos, the host of the LaunchCast, the co-host of Over My Dad Podcast. But more importantly, I'm here today on behalf of Launchpad 516 Studios, the podcast production company that makes those two shows, the one you're listening to now, and so many others possible. Now, what is Launchpad 516 Studios? Well, it's the brainchild of Launchpad 516, 
It's a podcast production company, and we help you from conceptualization to production, to recording, to post-production, to monetization. The key word here, let's turn that hobby, that idea into a revenue stream. But more importantly, let's get that important idea out there and get your voice heard, because that's what matters right now. Hit us up, launchpad516studios.com to find out more information or send us an email, podcast at lp516.com. DM me at Launchpad CEO on all the platforms. Let's chat. Let's get your voice heard. We're pretty good at this, guys. Don't let this offer slip by you. Later, guys. You're listening to Sounds Like Autism with your hosts, Josh Mursky and Dave Thompson. Produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. To, to kind of be more specific about Blue Star, um, Bill, I upon kind of perusing your website, Josh and I noticed under your story and your mission, um, four bullet points stuck out to us. I, I, I won't read them, but just about um, staff retention and, and task engagement, 96% task engagement while on the clock, right? Um, talk to us about you know, besides the personal impact on you and your employees, talk to us about the benefits of neurodiversity hiring initiative. Yeah, that's my favorite way to talk about it. So I actually live this from because we started looking at our occupational data. Now, again, I, I, I probably had in the back of my mind a goal of that we would establish the fact that, that a neurodiverse workforce would be as good as a traditional neurotypical workforce. That was probably my initial thought. And, but we started looking at absenteeism rates. There's zero, year after year, zero, 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 zero. Everyone shows up every day and unless they have unless they have an excuse or something or, or it snows or something, but they're there every day and they get all their work done. Then we started looking at uh, turnover. Our average turnover every year has, is for 14 years has been under 10%. I'm in an industry that is probably at 700% turnover that likes to admit that it's around 300%. But so for every job that a recycler has, they typically turn it over about every six weeks. It's, it's that bad. And, and um, so I immediately flagged that and went, wait a minute, our, why is our turnover rate so low? And then lost time accidents. Uh, the first three years I'm getting reports from the state that say Blue Star had one or zero lost time accidents. And I'm talking to my peers in the industry who have that many every day and the same size operation I am. And so why are we so safe at Blue Star? Uh, and why is it the only people getting hurt at Blue Star are neurotypicals? I'll make that little note <laughs> because I fell off the truck the first two years twice. But our people, our neurodiverse employees, I don't think have ever had a, a lost time accident since we've been open. It's phenomenal. And by the way, that's counterintuitive. Every employer I've ever talked to about employing people with neurodiverse employees will say, oh, no, I couldn't employ them. They wouldn't be safe on my work floor. That's just the opposite. Um, so and then the, the final kicker was that that statistic you cited, we had a third party researcher come in, sit with the team for three months. He walked into my office when he finished. And he goes, I can't believe this. He goes, 
I have measured your team. They are 98.43% task engaged on the clock. He monitored them for three months every day. And he said, I said, geez, that sounds pretty good. He goes, Bill, you don't understand. The average American employee doing that job is 49% task engaged. 49, half. That means every out of every hour, 30 minutes, they're looking at their phones. They're gabbing with their, somebody by the water cooler. I now understand by 2019, I had this, this information and I tried to share it. And you just brought it up earlier. I tried to share it with the industry and the industry went, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you'd say. And I, it, it really, really ticked me off because they saw Blue Star because we were a nonprofit that we were just, we weren't demanding anything that, or expecting anything. So here's what turned everything around. In 2019, we had a convening at Blue Star where my certification body, which is an international, uh, um, it's environmental health and safety certification. They brought 19 recyclers to Denver who came in, the CEO spent the day with us and their mouths dropped open. <laughs> he looked at our guys, he said, these guys are really good. I said, I haven't tried to tell you this for, for five years, you know, and, and, uh, and then at the end of that, James Emmett was there, uh, who I had been introduced to James through Randy Lewis. And, and, uh, and I said, James, how, what can we do? And James says, why don't we train these employers in this industry? And, and, uh, so James said, how many of you want what Blue Star has? And all of them raised their hand. And so we started a training program called Advanced Plus, and we've, and we've been training electronics recyclers on just how to do this. Because I had noticed the other thing was that employers have tried to do workforce inclusion and development. The problem is they've all, almost all failed when they tried to do it themselves. And, and I'm sure as you know, and all the pitfalls are the same. They don't have the right sourcing partners. Their expectations were too low and, and they came at it for the wrong motivation. So we found that if we trained them and then they had a better shot of having the success we did. Right. So one, like, I like to, whenever you like our guests talk, like pick out one or two things that really resonates with me. I would say like one of the things here is how you talk about like, you know, training folks to be like, to know how work as a community and things like that. Uh, it just, I, I don't know if this if the, our audience will actually feel this or not, but as someone like on the spectrum, and again, the time where like period which I grew up, I was saying this just hits me hard, like in a positive way, not a negative way. I want to emphasize that because yeah, um, because like really, just like society's come such a far like way in a relatively short period, and I'm not sure if I'd hope you guys listen to our TEDx talk. If not, I would highly suggest it, but um, in it, we mentioned a place called Willowbrook and like that wasn't too far away. And I was like, I think believe in like the eighties or something. And it like, it, well, I'm not gonna go into it because, but you, if you look it up, you'll understand. Uh, and from there all the way to now, it just, it's really like, it's kind of like mind blowing that these conversations are not like extraordinary, but they're kind of becoming ordinary. That's the amazing thing. So, like, I just felt like I wanted to bring that up uh, as someone who was on the spectrum, grew up at the time when I did, and then pretty much have witnessed the advance 
of society. It's just, it's truly, it's amazing. And uh, just, you know, it puts a smile on my face genuinely. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's so neat, Bill, when you say that you speak to your, uh, you know, other leaders in your field and not yeah. in a mission first field, but just in the electronics recycling field. And that they're like, we want what you have. You know what I mean? It reminds me of in, an, in a different industrial environment that I've been a part of um, where the people that come and install the machines say, wait, how do you operate these machines so fast? They don't go that fast. And we say, yeah, they do have neurodivergent people running them and they'll go that fast. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, really, really, really cool. But, you know, I, I, th I think that, you know, there's this uh, kind of cliche and it's a really important quote uh, by Dr. Stephen Shore that if you know someone with autism, great, you know, one, one person with autism, right? Um, I, th I, see this, I see something similar with businesses and social enterprises and, and neurodiversity hiring initiatives, right? They're all very different. And they're all very different for good reason. So when you when you talk about um, you know what makes something successful or what makes it special, um, it's always going to be a different answer. And I think something that Josh and I have learned uh, in our studies of this, and and especially in the conversations when we get to pick these thought leaders' brains uh, from around the country and the world, is that all these programs are different, and you shouldn't lump you shouldn't necessarily lump them together as if they're kind of operating one program. Um, yeah. So what is, what is the one thing, give away your, your trade secrets here. What is the one thing that's kind of your, your, your secret sauce? What is, what is something um, that is, is specific to your business and your co company culture um, that make your business and your workforce so successful? What is that secret sauce? It's a great question because it's always been of great interest to me to know you know, what your assets are. And um, what I've discovered now, there are two, but the one that that I, I've been able to quantify and, and recognize is that there's something sort of magical here. And um, it, which it also makes it harder to replicate. Um, and I think the reason is, is that because we didn't know anything about anything when we started, we let it be organically sort of grow up. And here's the thing what I, I made a couple of discoveries. I, I, I accidentally discovered that neurodiverse employees are funnier than hell. The, the sense of humor is off the charts, that they care about their teammates and, and, and being part of a team and contributing to that team. And I learned that the hard way because when I opened this thing, I, I didn't know that. And so I didn't put any emphasis on team. Or, 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 you know, being part of anything. And it was one of, the, one of the guys that said, look, just because we don't act like we care about one another, because we don't do a lot of idle chat and over sentimentality, we care about each other. And that's absolutely true. I've never seen a, we, we lost a team member last week who had been with us for eight years. And she, she had a, um, an illness over the weekend, a heart condition. And, and, I just today at lunchtime um, had eight employees, neurodivergent employees, stand up and share their remembrances of this young woman. And I got to tell you, it was it was the most the way it was articulated, and um, it, there was no false sentimentality to it. It was it was right. I mean, it was just, I don't even you know what I'm talking about, but it's 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 a um, 
it's what you would always hope for if you were going to be on a team that someone would know you that well and recognize your assets. And um, I, I learned all that accidentally. We and so what we have is a little bit of fairy dust when you walk in here. And, and I've had CEOs and job counselors and you name it recognize it when they come in they go wow something's really different here and all i know is i i kind of created it to look like an eighth grade boys locker room which is i got really um upset with the disability services sector because they wouldn't let the young people or people in this in the programs that were being served they wouldn't let them be people they act they made them be like robots so they if they if they cursed or if they said something off color, they got in trouble. And we said, look, anything goes here as long as it's not disrespectful to the person that's there. And so, you know, and we let we let men be men and women be women and have the opportunity to just be themselves. And what happened was this, and that brought their their natural innate humor out <laughs> and, and, this, and this wonderful, uh, contribution to a team this I, I don't even know how to explain it but we that's I think our number one asset is is the culture now it to to make sure that you continue that culture as you grow which is always the hard part I had the good fortune to turn this thing over to my son Sam about three years ago who's now our CEO and I'm I'm doing kind of the front man stuff and the expansion work Sam took it one step further and he hired our plant operations managers. We have the four plants now, the four main plants, and he hired people who not only get this workforce, but they draw out their very best. And he decentralized it and, and, and said, look, those here's the general structure of what we're doing, but it's your environment, your culture, you create within it which, what works for you. So if you visit Blue Star, the Colorado Springs, Blue Star, Chicago, Blue Star, um, Denver, whatever, you'll see common threads, but but they have a little bit of a different, uh, a little different thing to them. I don't even know how to explain it, but but um, but the but the magic is is there in all of them, and um, so I would say it's the magic, it's the culture. And, and then it's the, it's the leaders that put that first, put it first. Culture eats planning for lunch, right? That is the most valuable thing I've ever learned. If you have good culture, you will be successful. And, and we are proof of that because, because I didn't have any other assets for running this. <laughs> I love that culture eats planning for lunch. And I, I think that that's, that's absolutely true. Uh, because yes, efficiency and strategy and productivity and logistics are all really, really important. But if you don't have that healthy culture installed into your company and constantly kind of recalibrated and thought about uh, and challenged and, and just fine-tuned, um, then, then you're dead in the water, right? That's, that's what I notice. As soon as you lose that touch, um, things do not go so well. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that's, that's so, so important. Yeah. So when, like, when you're like opening up a new location, um, does it over like one after the other, like, does it get easier over time? Like to like, and also to kind of capture the magic, so to speak, like 
to rep like to bring the culture and have it go correctly in each location. Yeah, it, uh, seems, it seems like a sensitive thing, right, Josh? Yeah, it seems like difficult because I mean, no matter what, with any location, it's not the same exact staff. It's not the same exact. Uh, uh, like you know, the, each machine item is different. Each like there are slight differences. No matter how much you try to keep it like similar, like you could have the walls painted the same color, you could have the same shape windows, but there's always gonna be a slight difference or a slight um, like X factor or variable. So like, does it get any easier? And like, like yeah, how do you keep it like going same? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, we've gotten better with everyone. And honestly, today, uh, I would, if, if you ask me which facility I'd rather hang out in, uh, it probably would be Denver or Chicago, because um, it's the leadership. It's and, and, and beyond the leadership, how the team is gelled. I like all the locations, but those two are just clicking and you walk in and your hair practically stands up on the back of your neck because they're, they're just, the people are so dialed in. Uh, here in Colorado Springs, where we started, what's kind of odd is the, we started here where the original team, if, if, there, if you have a spectrum, if there is a spectrum to look at, we have probably the lowest cognitive skill uh, or uh, cognitive ability and, and social skills of any of the, of the um, locations. So there isn't a lot of banter here in Colorado Springs, very productive and very black and white. And, and, it, and, there's, some, and there's some magic here, but, but what's happened in Denver and in uh, Chicago, we have a little bit wider spectrum and and it's 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 opened itself up for you know it's the more diverse you are the better and 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 so there's more fun going on in those locations i think and uh so that's but i we we've gotten better at it and and i i really think um i would say this that we tried to do what you're talking about i thought i was going to be able to write this out in black and white and i finally gave up but what I, what I did, it's the canary in the mine. If, if you walk into your facility, you will know if it's got it or if it doesn't, right? And if I walk into a Blue Star facility, I can, I can pick it up immediately. And uh, if it's not, and it's, we've had back about five years ago, we had some leadership that didn't understand it. And I walked in and it was dead. And I went, ooh, it's gone. Whatever we had was gone. And we got rid of that person and brought in somebody that understood it, rebuilt it, and then went from there. Thank you so much for coming on. That, this is actually really interesting. And I'm just, I'm so happy just to know that these um, sorts of things are, these are popping up all over the country and that this is really like catching on and it's not just a niche or something. Yeah. Thank you so much, Bill. You're, yeah. you're doing uh, incredible work, and so are your, your colleagues. Yeah. Uh, we'll speak to you soon. Yeah. And your bounce back story. I just want to say, personally, I find that inspirational. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Bye. All right. So, yeah, David, it was awesome to, once again, have someone who I, I, I would personally consider, like, another trailblazer because it's like, we, we all are kind of pioneers in this thing where of this inclusion, but also not just for inclusion's sake, but it genuinely benefits, like, the world of work, the world of business, uh, the world of innovation, and the and society at large, uh, because like again, innovative minds, you know, people think differently, come up with innovative solutions, which 
are they're normally the ones who change the world. Those have solutions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and he is an early adopter. He started in 09, which is incredible. Uh, so, so much yeah. has happened since 2009 in this. And back then, <laughs> yeah. no, really, it's amazing. Yeah, it's not that long ago. And and now, you know, this is becoming, uh, neurodiversity is becoming a, a household word. And um, these, the, you know, these kinds of employment initiatives are becoming more and more normalized as they should be. Uh, but, you know, when he started, this was not, um, this was not something that you heard about on the news and, and things like that. So th- this is very, very, very cool. Um, great, to have, great to have Bill and Blue Star Recyclers as a friend and an ally in all this. Very exciting. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you very much. Uh, and just, man, all those years ago and still, I mean, that's, that's great. Totally yeah. different world back then. Yeah, an, an, another, another state knocked off our, our list, Colorado, which is really exciting. Uh, they also have a location in Illinois, but we've already been there with our friends at the Land of Lincoln. Yep. Yep. So um, awesome. Thank you so much. And it was good to see you, Josh. And we'll, we'll see, good you, to see uh, you. We'll see you in a couple of weeks for a mini-sode, right? Oh, yeah. I think it's going to be a really good one. You're going to want to listen to this one, folks. Trust me. Awesome. So, yeah. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning into the show. Sounds Like Autism is brought to you by Launchpad 516 Studios, executive produced by George Andriopoulos. The SLA theme song is by me, Dave Thompson. Other music and sound effects are licensed through Epidemic Sound. Sounds Like Autism is hosted with Podbean. Make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available. And leave us a five-star review, please, 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 on Apple Podcasts while you're at it. Follow us at Sounds Like Autism on Instagram and Facebook. Please visit us at www.soundslikeautism.com to learn more about us and to support us through our merch store and more. It's a great website. Make sure to follow all the great podcasts produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. Thank you so much.